Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. We're in uh, our series Reformed, talking about what it means to confess ourselves as a Reformed church, and we've gone through all these messages, um, and now we're at the part where we talk about the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, um, and we were saying that to be a Reformed church means that the sacraments, the signs of the gospel, are very important to us. Um, not only are they very important to us, but they're theologically specifically defined in a way that's consistent with the gospel. And one of the things that we said last time was that if the sacraments, and we're talking about baptism, are signs and seals of the gospel work, if we don't, if they, if we're like little kids who need pictures to understand the gospel, so little kids, they need the little pictures and all the stuff. Why? Because they're, they're, they're limitations. So God gives us pictures of the gospel through baptism and the Lord's Supper because we're kids, spiritually speaking. Um, the pictures need to be right. If, and the, the problem is a lot of times we understand the pictures of the gospel in a moralistic, not gospel consistent way. Um, and when we understand the sacraments in a moralistic, non-Christ-centered way, if the sacraments convey to us and show us the gospel, if we understand the signs of the gospel moralistically, then we're going to subtly have a moralistic understanding of the gospel. So we are very much thinking that, that the sacraments are very important, and it's also very important that they be defined in a manner consistent with the gospel. So the first message about baptism was an overview, kind of like uh, taking a plane on a high view. Part two is more like, let's get on the ground and let's look at the things in an overview in more detail. So this is the way I, I protect myself from preaching more than a 55-hour-minute sermon is having a two-part sermon, because I know you couldn't handle like an hour and 20 minutes. I could probably have done this in an hour and 20 minutes, but so this is part two. So how do we rightly understand how the sign of, bapt- the sign of baptism shows us the gospel? Well, I want to answer that question by saying, where does baptism occur? Secondly, um, why does it occur that way? And lastly, what are the effects? So where does baptism occur? Uh, why does it? Why is it meaningful? And thirdly, uh, what are the effects of it? So let's first question. We want to get baptism right. We want to understand the ba- the sign of baptism correctly. Where does it occur? First thing I want to say about where it occurs. It occurs in the Trinity. In the Trinity. Look at Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that baptism is something about these three persons who are one, one name, three persons, in the name singular of three persons. That baptism is about these three. Now, if I could give a picture that may help what I'm saying is that, you know, when, when, you, when a child seeks to get adopted by somebody, um, the most important thing about that adopted child is the family they're being adopted by. Where they're from doesn't matter ultimately. Their, their issues doesn't matter ultimately. Um, their baggage, their scars, all that stuff doesn't matter ultimately because what matters most about that adopted child now is the characteristics of the new family. Correct? That's why the process of, of adoption is very much focused on the family. And this is super important because we think that baptism mostly is about us. It's about my obedience, it's about my commitment, it's about my morality, it's about my inner this or that. But what Matthew is saying is that baptism is not about you, yourself, and I. It's about them. It's not about a you so much. It's about a who, another who, who is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So baptism means that your life, beloved, is now mostly defined by what the Father has through his Son and in the Holy Spirit, and what most defines you as what you have is not most important about you no more. So, you know, a lot of you have uh, very bad pasts, but your past doesn't define you no more. What the three persons of the Godhead have in themselves defines you most now. 
A lot of you have uh, very broken families, uh, you know, broken relationships, broken marriages. But what God is saying that baptism means that what the Father and the Son and the Spirit have in themselves is what most defines your life, not your relationships. A lot of us have had bad weeks. I feel like our church, there's a lot of people here because their week was an absolute disaster. So this is a, a very bad week. Uh, we have bad weeks. We have bad days. But, but being baptized in the Trinity means that your bad day, your bad week, your bad relationships, your bad families, your bad morality, all the drunk, junk and drama that you have does not define you most anymore. What defines you most anymore is what the perfect heavenly triune God has in himself, in the Father, in the Son, and in the Spirit. That's what defines you most. And all those other things in your life that you feel weighted down by or guilty by have now been swept up in what is perfect about them. So baptism, means, it happens in the Trinity. It means that what, what they got in themselves is what's most important about my life, not what I got with myself and the people around me. So it, it happens in the Trinity, but the question is, how, does, how do I get into this 3113 family? And that brings us to the second uh, place about where it occurs. It happens in the person of Christ. Baptism happens in the person of Christ. Let me read Colossians 2.9. Listen, and I'm going I'm to emphasize the Christ elements of this text. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is ahead over every rule and authority. You are also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you also are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you're dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. How many times does it say him, he, Christ? A lot. Meaning that our baptism is not so much about what we have, but it's about who Christ is in his personhood. Who he is is what baptism is about. And so, you know, it's, why, why am I in this heavenly family? Why do I get to claim these privileges. And here's a picture I think may help. Do you remember, were you, were you the kid, or maybe you had the friend who was always, he wasn't a part of the family, but he was always in the vacations. He would always go on vacations with you, even though he wasn't a part of the family because he was your buddy. He would always be, you know, hanging out at the house. So this child who's not a part of the family is hanging out and having vacations and having meals because they're attached to the son of the family. So some of you were the friend attached to the son. Some of you were the son of the family or the daughter who had the friend attached to you. And so, beloved, we are, baptism tells us that we are not in this family because we're good people or because we're improving people or because we've made good commitments to God. We're in this family because Christ the Son is perfect. Christ the Son is sinless. Christ the Son obeyed God's law for you in full perfectly. Christ the Son is spotless. And because the person of Christ is this way, and I'm attached to Christ by faith, baptism tells me that I am in this family because of who Christ is, not who I am. It's all in the person of Christ. You know, and I think we think like this. I think this is how we talk about our baptism in church sometimes. We talk about baptism like this, like... We're at the uh, front door of the church building, okay? We're at the front door of the church building. And let me give you a, let me give you a picture. Have you, ever, have, do you, have you been in church where you've heard the kids say, I, used, I said I was a Christian when I was young, but then I lived like really worldly. And then later, you know, I, later I, you know, really started living a Christian life. And so their whole baptism testimony is how I used to say, I used to do these things when I said I was a Christian, and now I do these things when I said I was a Christian. So the idea is that 
they're in this thing. Baptism tells us how, how we get into the church, how we, uh, the meaning of the significance of how we get in this thing. So it's saying, I basically sat in front of the door of the house of God, and I made a really good pitch as to why now I should be in, because before I did bad stuff, now I do good stuff. So I made a really big God pitch at the door of the heavenly family, and he brought me in. But you know what, you know what, you know what it's really like, beloved? It's like you at the front door of the family of the church, of the house of God, and God's like, why am I going to let you in this place? And you say, because I'm rolling with Christ, your son, and because I'm attached to him, let me in the house. Has nothing to do with you making a big pitch about how much things you're going to do for God now, how you're going to change your life for God now, how now you're not as much of a you know, bad person, you're a better person. No, baptism says I sit at the front door of God's house and say I'm with him. And because I'm with him, I'm eyes. Enough said. So it happens in the Trinity. It happens in the person of Christ. It also happens in the humanity of Christ, in the humanity of Christ, in his human, real flesh and blood. Matthew 3.13 says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it to be so now, because it is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. So John is baptizing people, and Jesus comes, and he says, baptize me. And John's like, no. Jesus says, listen, in order for me to save humans, I have to be a human, a real human, and I have to identify with you as a human to replace you as a human. So Jesus' baptism is not like our baptism, but it teaches us about our baptism. Jesus' baptism tells us that Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, had to become a human and identify with us as humans to replace us as humans for us to be saved. And this is very important because I think we think um, that Christ is kind of like a spiritual power who kind of comes and like zaps and charges me to be a more spiritual person. He's kind of like a power who helps me imitate him better. He's a power who empowers me to fix all of my problems. Like Jesus is the son of God who empowers me to like get over all of my issues and and break every chain of my issues, my personal issues. But Matthew is saying that we're saved because Jesus identified as a human to be our replacement, to be our substitute, to be the human person that we could never be in our Place And baptism says, I'm identifying with the humanity of the, of the God-man who became a human in my place. Let me give you an illustration that may help. When somebody jacks up, you, you hire them to fix your house um, and something in your house, and they screw it up, what would you say if they came to you and said, um, look, I know I screwed up your house, but uh, I'm going to come back with some really better tools I'm going to come back with some much more fancy tools, much more better tools. Can I, can I fix your house? What would you say? No, I don't, I don't want you to come back with better tools. I want somebody else. You stink. Get somebody else. Call someone who knows how to do their job. Don't. And so you see where I'm going with this? I hope you see where I'm going with this. Christ, baptism doesn't tell us that Christ came down to get us better tools so we can be a better us with his tools. Christ came down to earth so he could entirely replace you and be a perfect you in your place as a man in your place. A real flesh and blood human who lives as a human in your place and replaces your humanity with his humanity. That's what baptism tells us. I'm identifying with the God, perfect human man Christ, not the Christ who supposedly comes down to give me more tools to be a better me. I don't need that. Baptism tells me I need a human who's God, to identify with me. So our problem is that we want to make ourselves gods, but what we need is God to make himself one of us so we could be saved. So baptism occurs in the Trinity. It occurs in the person of Christ. It occurs in the humanity of Christ. And also it occurs 
more in developing that idea in the history of Christ. Baptism occurs in the history of Christ. Romans 6.3 says this. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection. So notice that Paul is talking about baptism, and the whole conversation about the significance of baptism is all in what happened to Christ in history. Um, Let me give you an illustration uh, that may help when I say that baptism occurs in the history of Christ, and that's super important for us to understand baptism. Um, Are you guys familiar with the story where there's a guy who's just really doing bad, and he's at his bottom end, and then some important person comes and then helps him get better and become the hero at the end of the story? Are you familiar with that movie? Okay. A lot of movies are like that. Here's another movie. And it is this person's at their low point, and someone comes into the picture, and that person comes in the picture to be the hero of the story, and now that person who says rock bottom really just gets swept up into this new hero, and the, the story ends not with the hero making this guy to be the hero at the end, but the story ends with the hero just taking over the story. You familiar with that, story, with that movie? And we're like, there's, not, there's enough people in here for us to talk more, right? It's a smaller setting, more cozy. So listen, <laughs> baptism, beloved, is not Christ. The meaning of baptism is not Christ coming in and boosting you up to give you a better story. Baptism is telling you that the perfect story of Christ has now replaced your story, and now you are part of the supporting cast in the perfect history of Jesus Christ. Not you have now in baptism recruited Jesus to be a supporting cast member in your great story. So, so beloved, you know how baptism stories are all about God giving you a better story? That's not the point. The point of the gospel and the sign of the gospel is that not that Christ has now, by his grace, given you a better story to flaunt around, but that Christ has given you his perfect story to be your story to own as your own. And now you are supporting cast in his drama. That's what baptism is telling us. Beloved, you, many of you have horrible stories, horrible past, horrible presence. But what the gospel sign of baptism is saying is that that story no longer defines you. That story of this kind of parents, this kind of, this kind of childhood, this kind of environment, this kind of sin past, this kind of temptation, this kind of failure has been rewritten and recast in the story of Christ. That is your story. Christ's story is yours. And some of you are like, well, you know what? I got a great story. Me and Jesus making a really great story. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. What happens when, you, when that story changes? If your testimony is that you were an alcoholic and now you're not an alcoholic, what happens when you get drunk? If your testimony is that you used to be in the streets partying and immoral, what happens when you have a season in your life when you live immoral? You got no story. But if the gospel sign of baptism tells me that I am saved by having a perfect story that's my story that is now in Christ, then no bad day, no bad week can ever change that. Because his story has become mine. Beloved, let me, let me tell you something. You got this. This this is this is how you got. This is how you got to live your life. Every day of your life, you got to put the same stinking gospel movie on repeat. That's all about Christ's story being your story. It's like, what am I gonna watch today? What movie am I gonna watch today? I'm gonna put the tape of the story and drama of the history of Christ, which has now become my history by faith. I'm gonna play that tape today, tomorrow, next week, next month, because that's all I got. It's my story. It's my story. It's the history of Christ. 
So we're baptized in the Trinity, in the person of Christ, in the humanity of Christ, in the history of Christ. But we're also baptized in the representation of Christ. Christ as my rep, Christ as my head. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through, amen, and the resurrection of that also comes through, amen. For in Adam all die, and Christ all will be made alive. So basically, I was represented by Adam, and I died in his representation. Now I'm represented by Christ, and I'm raised in his representation. Let me read Romans 6 again. Are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So basically, his death was something that he did as someone who represented me when he died. You'd be like, can you help me out with that? I'll help you out. You guys, you guys familiar with how we talk about our sports teams? What happens if you're a Hurricanes fan or you're a Heat fan or you're a Warriors fan? Um, what happens when your team wins? What do, you, what do you do? You say, we won. It's like, what do you mean you won? You sitting over there eating Cheetos and drinking a brew. You didn't do nothing. What do you mean we won? No, we won. You personify what happened to somebody else, though you did nothing. Beloved, this is a picture of baptism. Baptism is not you talking about all these things that happened to you and all these happenings with you and, and all. Baptism is you identifying with the happenings of Christ that you didn't do that happened to him. And you're saying, we, me, I, even though you didn't do anything morally, spiritually to add to that, you're identifying with what Christ did as if you did it, though you didn't do it. Beloved, that's what baptism is about. Identifying with the winning team, the winning head, the winning last and perfect and final Adam, as opposed to, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get coached by by Coach Jesus, and I'm going to be a, a winning team, and then I'm going to get my own wins. I'm going to get my own, you know, I'm going to knock down my own Goliaths. No, no, beloved. Baptism tells you that what's most important about your life, why you're in this church, why you're saved, is not what's happening to you. It's not what you're doing. It's that now you're identifying fully and finally and mostly in what happened to Christ as your rep. Even though you didn't do it, that's what your life is now defined by. It's in being represented by Christ as your head. So check this out. Let me give you an example of this. Um, when you read Matthew chapter 4 and you read the temptation of Jesus, where Jesus is like, the, the, the devil comes at him in three ways and says, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, and, he's, and he quotes scripture. How do you read that in light of what I just said? Let me tell you how you don't read that. All right, here's three ways that I can now fight temptation. No, 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 but if Christ, if baptism is telling us that Christ is our head, I read that text and I say, I just obeyed before the devil. Three times the devil tempted me and I obeyed. You're like, why do you say that? Because when Christ obeyed, he obeyed as my representative, and when he obeyed, I get credit for that obedience. I get credit for what he did because he represented me, not because of what I would do, but because he is my rep who just does what he does for me, not because of what I do. So when I read the temptation of Jesus and he performs perfectly, I said, I did that. It's like, it's like the person on the couch saying, yeah, we won. You didn't do nothing. It's all right because that's my team. When Jesus achieves, when he obeys, when he endures temptation perfectly, I say, I did it, even though you didn't do it, because baptism is in the representation of Christ. So one more thing, one more thing about where baptism is. It's in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made a drink of one spirit. Let me use another Basketball picture. So 
there's two teams in the NBA that are very differently in principle. You have the Warriors and the Cavs. Let me explain to you. You don't watch basketball, I'll explain to you. The Warriors are a system. They're a system of parts that function together to be the best team. Okay? The Cavs are a superhero, LeBron James, with tagalongs. You see where I'm going with this? Beloved, in the church, we're the warriors. We're not the calves. Jesus is not empowering us to be super private Christians with our super private me and Jesus kind of morality and piety. And, you know, I'm just make, being made this super independent spiritual person to save the day. No, we are a team that is irrelevant in ourselves, but together in one body with one head, we are spectacular. You know what's going to happen when the Cavs face the Warriors this year with their superstar guy? They're going to lose. You know what's going to happen to us when we try to be superstar Christians empowered by ourselves, by Jesus, by ourselves? We lose practically, experientially all the time because that's just not how we are. We are baptized into one body where we have all these mutual working you know, interdependent parts that are attached to this magnificent singular head, Jesus Christ, and that's who we are. That's where God has placed us into in baptism. So baptism isn't the Trinity. It's in the person of Christ. It's in the humanity of Christ. It's in the history of Christ. It's in his representation, and it's in his body. It's in his body. So that's where it happens. Now I'll ask the second question. Why do we benefit from this? Why do we benefit from this? Or how do we benefit from this? I'm going to say three things about why we benefit from it. First, we benefit from it in it being given, not acquired, or given, not earned. That's probably a better, that should have been a better way to say it. Let me give you an illustration that that helps. Um, Well, what happens with kids' choices? What happens when kids choose things? They always choose the wrong stuff. So they pick their outfits, and they pick the most ridiculous outfit to go somewhere. They pick what they want to eat, and they pick something that could give them diabetes if that's all they ate. They just make bad choices. So basically, I have to make choices for them in order for their choices to not ruin them. You see where I'm going with this? Beloved, it says in in 1 Corinthians 12... For all of us were baptized by one spirit into one body. That word baptized is a passive word. It's basically saying somebody grabbed you and dunked you. Somebody did it to you. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Someone made you partake of the spirit. And so, beloved, baptism is not a voluntary, it's, it's not a voluntary act. It's not a, we're not a, a, a voluntary club here. You know who we are? We're a bunch of kids who would made lots of bad decisions. And because our bad decisions are always bad and will always be bad, we had a sovereign, saving, gracious God who chose us, who elected us to then receive the significance of baptism. We have been chosen in baptism. We are not those who choose God in baptism. You know, like the baptism song that ever, it's always played, I have decided, no, you didn't. We have been elected and chosen into this baptism meaning, and because God has chosen this for us, that means we can't screw it up. That means we can't lose it. And if God is the one who starts this initiation into his family, then that means that everything goes back to God. Everything points to God. Everything's about God because it begins with his perfect decision. And therefore, it's sustained by his. So the reason we get this thing is because God chose it perfectly. It's given to us. We don't earn it. We don't decide it. We're not, but beloved, the church is not a volunteer organization. You know what I'm saying? We are not a volunteer organization. We have been chosen to this thing, and so that's how we benefit from it. Secondly, we benefit from baptism in it being appropriated, received by faith alone. It's received by faith alone. Look what it says in Acts 16. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then they escorted him out and said, 
Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Won't you love for, for someone to just tell you that? How do I get saved? Oh, I know. Yeah. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour that night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. So how, why, why was this baptism meaningful? Why was it saving according to this text? It was saving because they believed in the message of the gospel. Now, let me explain something that I think is, it flies in the face of this. What, what do we do in the church when, when a kid professes faith? Obviously, we're, we're, we're paedo-baptists, so it's a little bit different here. But when a kid professes faith in a normal church, what do we do? We wait for them to bear enough fruits. What are we saying? Baptism is calling for fruits. Or we say, oh, I won't baptize you until you're 18 because you got to bear 18-year-old fruits. Or we'll do things like this. Someone will come to us and they'll profess faith and, you know, they're living with their boyfriend. You'd be like, okay, well, I'll baptize you after you don't live with your boyfriend. What are we saying? We're saying that baptism doesn't demand faith in the God behind baptism and his works. Baptism demands some moral fixation, some moral fruitfulness in order for you to partake in this sign. Now, dude's got to stop being shacked up with his girlfriend, but not to be baptized. What would I be saying to you if I said stop being living with your girlfriend and be baptized? I'd be saying you get to be in this thing by a moral work. What am I saying to a kid who says, hey, I want you to bear 18-year-old fruits. I want you to bear more fruits. I'm saying to this kid is when you're righteous enough, then you can identify with the work of Christ. That is another gospel. That's another sacrament that's not Christian. Now, you're talking about, well, what if, what if it's not a true profession and whatnot? That's another question. That's another issue. It's another thing. But, but beloved, listen, baptism is not calling us to trust in our faithfulness to get baptized and believe in our baptism. Baptism is not calling us to trust in our faithfulness. Baptism is calling us to trust in the faithfulness of Christ for us. And it's so important because, beloved, if baptism, which is a sign of entrance into God's covenant community, is about faith, then how do we stay in this thing? How do we get to stay in this thing if it's initiated and started by faith? By faith. The same way I get in, the same way I stay in. If the way you get in or the way baptism, saving baptism, the way you experience the benefits of that is by doing something, then how do you stay in? Got to keep doing it. But beloved, Baptism is beneficial because God gives it to us firstly. Secondly, it's, it, we receive the benefits of it by faith alone. Third thing, this is the last thing about why do we benefit from it. We benefit from baptism in the sense that it is a means of grace. It is a means of grace. It is a means by which we receive somebody else's grace. Romans 6.1. Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? No. How can we who die to sin still live? And are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. So Paul is talking about baptism, and the entire conversation is about how it is something which points us to receiving something from somebody else. It is a means by which we connect with undeserved Grace, according to Paul. And let me give you a picture that may help. Because for many, baptism is not a means of grace. Baptism is a work. It is a decision. It is a moral act of a moral person. But when Paul talks about baptism, it's all about the grace of Christ that we receive by his grace. Here's a picture. What do you do? When you have a piece of ice, you have, you have, you have, there's, two, there's two ways to use water or two examples. One is you have a piece of ice and you freeze it and then you sculpt it into be some beautiful sculpture. Okay? So in that case, water is what? Water is a tool for you to do something really nice. Right? 
It's a tool for you to create something, do something, accomplish something. That is a picture of baptism that tells us that baptism is not a means of grace. It's a sign of your obedience, your morality, your heart, your commitments. It's an ice sculpture. The waters of baptism are this thing you freeze and you make something really great from. The second picture is of a dirty kid, filthy kid, who gets chucked into a pool and then he gets cleaned. Now, what's, the, what's the difference in water in that situation? The water is just something that is applied to him, not because of him. He just got tossed in the water, and because he got tossed in the water and his filthiness, he's okay. It's not, it's not an ice sculpture for him to do something amazing. It's something that does something amazing to him. So, beloved, baptism is about the fact that God the Father, our daddy, has tossed us into the waters of Christ's cleansing blood. And because we've been tossed into this grace ocean, this grace pool of the blood and resurrection and righteousness of Christ, because we've been tossed into that, we then are cleansed, not because we did some moral act. We didn't do anything. We were just tossed in and we received the grace of that pointed to in that sign. So baptism, beloved, it's not about you having these abilities to do these amazing things with your baptism, but it's about God the Father tossing his dirty, filthy kids into the waters of Christ's blood, which cleanses you. And this is super important because this, 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 means, this, this defines your whole life. Your whole life is defined not by trying to not be dirty, not by trying to not get filthy, but your whole life is, is, is designed by God the Father continually tossing you into the waters of baptism where the blood of Christ and his grace is just regularly washing you. You know what I'm saying? So all, we spend all this time trying to not get dirty, and we, and we, we want to, but it's like, no, look, look, the way it works in the Christian life is, is God is always tossing you in the waters of baptism in your dirtiness. And that is how, that's, that's the whole language of 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The whole Christian life is about God's means of grace, his grace provisions in Christ's sacrifice, which are regularly cleaning and cleansing you, not the whole Christian life being another act of you accomplishing, doing, being, all these things. So this is why we benefit from it. It's given and acquired. It's appropriated by faith, and it's a means of grace. Last big point I want to say is what are the effects of baptism? What are its effects? What are the causes of baptism? I'm going to say four things. First cause of baptism is we get cleansing from the guilt and slavery of sin. When I say baptism, I don't mean the water. I mean the meaning of the water. You understand? We're talking about what it means, the sign means. I need to say that. So first effect we get, it cleans us from guilt and slavery of sin. Ezekiel 36, 24 says this. For I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be cleaned. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. So let me give you a picture that may help. And this is probably going to be more, um, ladies will probably get this more. L- ladies, you familiar with the deep cleaning? When you do the deep cleaning? When you do the deep cleaning in your house, the house can still get dirty, but it's okay because you did the deep cleaning. So the house still gets dirty, correct? But because you did the deep cleansing of the house, now those ongoing dirtiness, it's not that important. It's not so big a deal because you did the deep cleaning, Okay, you get, the, you get the picture? So what happens when we believe in our baptism is that we now have a fully and comprehensive deep cleaning where everything sinful about us has been totally washed in the presence of God. When we trust in our baptism, it means that before God, God no longer sees any sin and dirt and filth. Why? Because Jesus' obedience has been credited to you, so you got those nice coverings. And secondly, the cross of Christ has wiped away your sin and guilt and shame. 
But there's more than that that happens in baptism in that deep cleaning. Not only do you have a position that's perfectly clean of all of your most unlovely things, you now have been practically cleansed from the power of sin to dominate you. Do you realize that if you have placed your faith in Christ, you no longer are enslaved by sin anymore? You're like, what are you talking about? I sin every day. Yeah, but you're not enslaved to it. And so because baptism cleanses us perfectly, entirely with that deep cleaning gospel cleansing, and it has freed us from sin's power to master us, we really can live in light of that deep cleansing and stop trying to make the whole Christian life some, you know, you know what happened? What, in Miami, I, I hear this all the time. Christians say this to me. They say, I need, I need, I feel like I need healing. I need healing. I need cleansing. I need delivery. You know what I'm talking about? What on earth do you think happened to you in the significance of your baptism? Like Christ was like, all right, you know, there's a little stop, there's a little spot there. All right. No, no, no. In baptism, you were healed positionally. You were cleansed positionally. You were delivered positionally in full by virtue of Christ's work. You don't need deliverance. You don't need healing. You have it in the cross of Christ. And you don't need to be delivered from the power and mastery of sin because the power of the gospel of the cross has busted the chains of sin's ability to master you. So what is necessary is not for some healing or other deliverance. What's necessary is for you to understand what baptism has done. Or here's, another, here's, here's, here's some other things, beloved. You know, people say like, well, I feel like I need the baptism of the Spirit. So I'm a Christian, but I need another baptism. I need another baptism, you know, and I'm going to, you know, speak in, in, in yada, yada, yadas or whatever. But, beloved, baptism tells you that you have everything spiritual already in Christ, not because you do some other baptism. Christianity is not layers of spirituality. It's beginning with every single blessing and positional cleansing and practical freedom right now from the beginning. That means that Randy came to faith like a month ago. He has everything that you have if you've been a Christian for 50 years. You have no more spirituality than he does, and he has no less in you because baptism tells us that the power of God's grace has cleansed us comprehensively and freed us entirely at moments we believe. Or here's another thing that, that people say. It's like, well, I believe, but now I need to make Christ Lord. So the second baptism, the second blessing is the lordship. So you think that believing in Christ does not come with him being Lord? What kind of faith is this? <laughs> you know, all right, I believed, but now I'm going to follow him. What are you talking about? Those who have been cleansed by faith in the gospel have every single capacity to submit to Christ's lordship and follow him. There is no second baptism, second blessing, second tier spirituality of making Christ Lord. That doesn't exist because the benefits of baptism is that we've been cleansed from all of our guilt and we have been freed from every single enslaving thing, beloved. That leads me to our next point is that the effects of baptism are cleansing from guilt and slavery of sin. Secondly, it's new life, not new rules. New life, not new rules. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you, it's talking about the work, the cause, the results of baptism. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and I will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Everything is there. You got a new heart, a new nature, a new reality, new, new, new. Okay? That's what baptism causes. Let me give you a picture that may help. Because um, this is how I think we think of the Christian life and how we think of baptism. We think that we're the same busted old car, okay? So we think we're the, we're, we're the, we're the and don't get, don't get offended if this is your car, okay? It's an illustration. We're the 1980 Toyota Corolla. But now Jesus is in the picture, and he's going to teach us how to drive that junk really good. He's going to give us, like, driving skills, and he's going to give us some mods too, you know, like some turbo and some new rims, new exhausts. 
it's going to tweak and improve the Corolla. And beloved, that's how, we, that, that, that's how we live our Christian life. We live our Christian life like it's everything is just behavior modification of the same busted, jacked up car. Why don't you pray this way? Why don't you pray more? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And the entire Christian life becomes telling people how to drive their busted old them better with Jesus being some sort of moralistic self-help coach. Let me tell you what Christianity is really like in light of what our baptism does in us when we believe it. It's like we drove the corolla to the ground that represents us, and it was crushed in the junk pile where they crushed cars, and God gave us a Ferrari. How about a a Camry? We have a new car with new internals and new gears and new engine and new everything by virtue of being identified with Christ and his work for us and being our Savior who lived for us, who died for our sins and was resurrected. And now we get a new car. And so the Christian life now is about God telling you all about what's in your new car, not telling you to drive better with Jesus' help. You know, so, 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 but, but beloved, discipleship is like this. You're looking at people and they got all these issues, they got all these marriage issues, they got all these life issues, they got all these immorality issues, and you're telling me, yo, homie, let me tell you about the new whip produced by the power of the gospel. Who you are in Christ for the gospel's sake. Let me tell you how you've been crucified with Christ in baptism. Let me tell you about how you have a new name, a new identity, a new reality seated in heaven. Let me talk to you about who you now are in Christ. And that's how we disciple each other. As opposed to, oh, oh, you're, you're mean to your wife? Oh, you should love your wife like Christ loved the church. Oh, Oh, you're, you're sleeping with your, with your, with your boyfriend? Oh, don't do that. You know, that's, that's bad. No, no, no. Let's talk about how baptism has made us a new car by the power of the resurrection of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and let's live our Christian lives like that. You are this. You have this already. Now learn what kind of car you now are in Christ. That's totally different because baptism results in God giving us a whole new dimension, a whole new reality. Anyways, I got a few more things to say, two more things. What does baptism cause? It causes us, it results in us being Christ and cross-centered, not sensational. Christ and cross-centered, not sensational. Galatians 3.27 says this, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ like a garment. What does your baptism mean? It means that you put on the Jesus suit and there's nothing left of you because the Jesus suit of his benefits has now covered everything about you. That's the auto paraphrase. That's me paraphrase. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Let me give you an illustration that may help when I say baptism results in us being cross and Christ-centered, not sensational. Let me give you an illustration. Let me slow down. I need some water. So you know what happens when you're an adult without kids like, like Joel? Yeah, I'm calling you out. I said your name. Most of what you talk about as an adult will be, you know, like your job, what you do in your job, your education, you know, like whatever. Like that's how it is when you're an adult without kids. But what happens when you have a kid? All you talk about is what your stinking kids do. And you people who don't have kids cannot stand hanging out with us. You can't stand hanging out with us because it's like, oh, what am I going to do today with, with, with them? I'm going to hear about their kids for two hours. I think I'm going to go hang out with some single people or some married people who don't have kids. Beloved, that's what baptism causes us to do, Beloved. You know, you know what happens? I feel like what happens in the, in, in the Miami world, in the Christian world, people are just always talking about themselves. It's like, yeah, man, you know, I, I love the Lord. And yeah, man, I worship Christ with all my heart. And yeah, man, I don't do that to my wife. And I don't do this anymore. And it's like 
the people that don't have kids to talk about their kids doing things, they're just always talking about themselves, beloved. But that's not what baptism believe is doing in us. Baptism believe is doing in us to be people who just become obsessed with talking about how everything in life is Christ and cross focus. Like, like you walk around like this, man, Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my forgiveness. Christ is my adoption. Christ is my lover. Christ is the faithful one. Christ is the almighty one. Christ is the one who's given me the spirit of God. Christ in his, we just Christ, 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 because baptism causes us to be more Christ-focused, not be drunk of our morality. It's not that we're immoral, but our morality is all about how this amazing Christ is all these amazing things for us, and that's what it's moving us to do. Like you just always talking about what your kids do, and you can't shut up about what your kids do. When we're looking to Christ in baptism, we just can't stop talking about all the things Christ the beloved son has done for his father for us. So it moves us to be cross Christ and cross-focused, not sensational. Last point, um, in light of what it does, and I need to pick up the pace, it's history experienced in the present. What is the role of baptism? It's history experienced in the present. Listen, let's look at this in verse 8 of Romans 6. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, did not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So you consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. So Paul is talking about all these things in history that happened to Christ. And then he says, so you too now consider yourselves in the present to be dead to sin. And it's like, interesting. So the history of Christ is invading in my presence. Let me give you a picture that may help, beloved. Um, what, ha- what happens when uh, you guys pick up pictures of the past and you begin to look at, like, friends that you really like or you've been looking, maybe you look at yourself and you're like, oh, I used to be so skinny. And, you know, you look at yourself and your skinniness or, or, or you look at your kids when they were young and they didn't say anything or just, like, just a smile, that, that hot dog smile, you know. All of a sudden now you look at these pictures and from the past, and in the present, you experience joy. What is happening in that moment is that the past is now invading the present, and because you're engaged with the past, your now presence is being redefined. Beloved, that's what baptism is working and causing in us when we believe in it. The past of Christ is now invading your present. You're looking, you look at yourself in your sinfulness, and then you look at the past of Christ, and it says, you, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, so the body, dominion of sin might be abolished. And, and you look at the, the work of Christ where it says he was seated in heavenly places, and all of a sudden now, as you meditate and consider the history of Christ, then your present is now changed and transformed as you focus on history. You follow me? Beloved, I think we think so much like this as Christians. We think, all right, how, is, how, is my, how am I going to change my present to be a better future for Jesus? And so we wake up every day thinking about some, some secret to unlock the present to then change my future. But what this is telling us, what baptism is telling us is, beloved, the secret to your present is for you living in the reality of your past in Christ and that change in you in the present. It is you getting up every day of your Christian life, every moment of your Christian life, and you take the pictures of the reminiscing of the work of Christ, and as you look that up by faith, that past invades your present over and over and over and over. That's why in the New Testament, Paul's always talking about our baptism in the present because it's that connection with the past that changes our present. So it is what is the result of baptism is cleansing, from guilt of sin and slavery of sin, Christ and cross-centered, not sensational, new life, not new rules, and it's history, experience, and the pleasant. This is the last thing I want to say about baptism. How do we administer it? How do we administer baptism? Well, 
it's not about the amount of water. It's about the action of water. This is going to be a little bit like less exciting than the other points. It's, it's more of a practical point. Um, have you ever heard the, 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 the statement that um, the word baptism means to immerse underwater? And that's how we immerse underwater. Um, let's, let, let, let's, let's look at baptism in the New Testament in a few places and let's see if that's true. Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on to maturity, not laying the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual watchings, baptisms in the Hebrew, in the Greek, laying on a hand and resurrection of the dead. So baptisms there, he's talking about the rituals of the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, the washings and rituals was always sprinkling and pouring. So there you have baptism that's not referring to immersion. Go to another text, Mark 7, 4. Uh, when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed, baptized. That's the word in the Greek. And there are many other customs they have received and watched, like the washing, baptism of cups, jugs, utensils, and couches. Now, you think they were putting, in the Middle East, they were putting couches underwater and taking them out? No. When they're talking about baptizing, utensils, and couches, they're talking about putting water on them or a ritual. I mean, I give you one more example. And I could do this all day, but I don't, I don't want to. To me, it's not important, but I have to say it because it becomes so important for so many. You understand what I'm saying? The, how you baptize someone is not important. But because it's so important, I have to talk about it. You get it? It's like, your baptism is not legit because you weren't drowned. All right. Mark 10, 38. Jesus said to him, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup or be baptized with the baptism I'm being baptized with? He's talking about what? The cross. Baptism, being baptized. He's talking about being baptized in the work that he would do on the cross. So, beloved, baptism does not mean to immerse underwater. Baptism means different contexts to apply something to something with water. So in Acts chapter 2, we, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is, is described as the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Ezekiel 36, it was talked about sprinkling. So what, you say, why do I say this? I'm telling this to you to tell you that if you want to be, if you want to be dunked, if you want to be sprinkled, if you want to be poured, it does not ultimately matter because it's not about the amount of water that matters. It's the application of water that matters. So that's not exciting. It's not amazing. It's not wonderful. It's not like making you jump up for Jesus, but I think it's important because I said in, in, in Miami, we tend to be legalistic over the wrong, we, we tend to be narrow over the wrong things. So we're more concerned with how you're baptized than what baptism stinking means. Like you missed the points. So anyways, how, how, do I, how, do I, how do I summarize this whole Second message on baptism. Well, first, baptism is about who for us, Father, Son, and Spirit, not you. It's more about the heavenly family, not about us, and how that new heavenly family has redefined us. Baptism is mostly about not you, the disciple, but it's about Christ, the man who replaces you. Baptism is more about essentially how Christ represents you perfectly, beloved, and not how well you represent him. It's about how God has given you his perfect story, not how he's making your story now a lot better. It's about how his perfect decision now defines your whole life and roots your whole life, not how you've made a great decision for God. It's about how you now have been cleansed entirely before God in Christ and that you don't no longer need ongoing cleansing project and ongoing levels of spirituality. It's about how the fact that God has made you a new creation in Christ by grace. Not that he's given you a lot of great new advice and new coaching. It's about the fact that Christ's past is now defining my present. And so my present is transformed and changed by the past of Christ now invading. This is what baptism means to us, for us. So when somebody, now, now when somebody gets gets baptized, you're going to be like, oh, man, that's like a lot of stuff. You know? <laughs> it means a lot. It's very dense and rich and Christ-centered, Christ 
focused. So let me, let me pray, um, and we'll transition next week to have two messages on the Lord's table. Two messages on the Lord's table. Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us a sign and symbol that we have been washed and cleansed and renewed and restored by the waters of baptism, which point to the blood of Christ, his perfect work that has made us and restored us before your presence as your kids forever. Lord, help us to live rightly in light of our baptism. Help us to see our baptism correctly. And Father, help us to celebrate this ritual, this sign and picture of grace again and again as we celebrate it here, Lord. In your name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.